All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. Look at verse 1. The Bible said Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. So he reigned for thirty-one years. The Bible said in verse 2 that he did that, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And by the way, David wasn't his actual father, but, uh, you know, in, in Old Testament language, they called him their father, though he may have been, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe tenth or twelfth grandfather. Uh, you know, great, 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 great grandpa of, of, of Josiah. But he walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now jump over in the same chapter and look, if you will, in verse number, verse number 15. The Bible said, And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book. And I want to preach tonight on that thought. I have found the book. Let's pray. Father, bless your word and speak to our hearts tonight, I pray. And the Lord challenge us tonight that if we believe the book, that we might live the book, I pray. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've told you before, after the death of King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The first three kings over the nation of Israel reigned for 40 years. Saul reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years, and Solomon reigned for 40 years. But when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took over. And one of the things that happened initially in the reign of Rehoboam was the nation of Israel split and became two nations. There was a northern kingdom of Israel, and there was a southern kingdom of Israel somewhat like our nation did back in the days of the Civil War. There was a northern, a northern America, I guess you could say, northern part, and then there was a southern part. Well, that happened in the nation of Israel. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel never really had a chance. Even though they lasted from the split, they lasted for another 241 years, but then off into captivity they went. You see, the northern kingdom started off with a bad king. Their first king was a king by the name of Jeroboam. And one of the first things that crazy Jeroboam did was set a golden calf up and told the people this was going to be their God from here on out. And from there on out, it kind of just spiraled, spiritually spiraled out of control until 241 years later, God had said, I had enough. It's time for punishment and judgment to come. The southern kingdom of Israel, however, they fared a little better. Instead of lasting 241 years, they lasted for 387 years. So, uh, what, uh, uh, maybe 140-some years later, uh, longer, they lasted than the southern kingdom. And the difference between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom was that every once in a while, the southern kingdom would have a godly king, a good king, who would rise to power, and because of the influence of a godly leader, the nation, the southern kingdom, would experience a revival. Revival would break out in a land. Boy, it kind of gives a lot of credence to that verse in the book of Proverbs when the Bible said, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. You know, a lot of things hinges, falls and rises on leadership. 
it, uh, the southern kingdom would have a good king and the nation would experience a revival. Sins were confessed. Rights were made wrong. And things which should not be were abolished. And boy, God would become real again. And the nation would experience a revival. And because of that, God delayed judgment on the southern kingdom. Now, if you were to go through and count them, and you don't have to, I've done it for you, but if you were to go through and count them, you'd find out the northern kingdom had 19 kings that reigned over it. If you were to go through and count them, you'd find out the southern kingdom had 19 kings that reigned over it as well. So all together, not counting Solomon and Saul and David, all together those two kingdoms had 38 kings that reigned over them. But without exception, without doubt, my favorite king out of all the kings was King Josiah. King Josiah was what we would call the boy king. Why, the Bible said in verse number 1 that he was only 8 years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine having a president over the United States of America that was eight years old? Probably been better than some of them we've had recently. But eight years old, he was reigning over the nation of Judah. He reigned for 31 years, so he died at the tender age of only 39 years old. But for 31 years, he was the king of Judah. Now think about that. Eight years old, he's already sitting on the throne as a king in very, very turbulent times. But then if you'll drop down to verse number 3, we read this. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was young, so now he's a teenager. Eight, when he started to reign. Eighth year of his reign makes him 16 years old. And the Bible said there in verse number 3 that when he was 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David his father. Now let me just stop and say, well, that's a good thing for any 16-year-old to do, to seek after the God of their father. I mean, man, to go after God. 16 years old, and he's seeking after the Lord. But then we read this, when he was 20 years old, According to verse number 3, in the 12th year of his reign. So 12 and 8 is 20. So now he's 20 years old. He's 8 when he starts. He's 16 when he starts seeking after God. But then in the 12th year of his reign, or when he's 20 years old, man, he starts cleaning up the nation. I mean, man, he starts cleaning things up that ought not to be in the land. You see, his daddy and his grandpa, his daddy's name was Ammon. Ammon was a wicked man. Manasseh was his great-grandpa, or his great-grandpa, and the Bible tells us that Manasseh was wicked, I mean more wicked than any king that had ever reigned over the land of Israel. And these, these wicked kings had brought a lot of ungodliness and idolatry into the land. Well, Josiah, at the age of 20, starts seeing things that's got to go, and he starts cleaning up the land of Judah. But then when he got 26 years old, let me see if I can find it. Look at verse 8. When he was 26 years old, or in the 18th year of his reign, boy, he starts cleaning up the house of God. Amen. He takes a real interest in the house of God. By the way, can I tell you this? When you start seeking after God, you'll take an interest in the house of God. You know what's wrong with our country tonight? There's no interest in the things of God. And one of the reasons that the house of God is so poorly attended anymore is people's not seeking after the Lord anymore. Because when you love God, you're going to love what God loves. And God loves the house of God. Well, these wicked kings had brought a lot of garbage, a lot of trash inside of the house of God. So one of the things that Josiah does when he was 26 years old, he's got to start getting the trash 
out of the house of God. They brought in false gods and they brought in all kinds of abominations into the house of God. So he commands for the house of God to get cleaned up. And while they're cleaning up and cleaning out the house of God, back up in verse 14, we understand they found something while they was going through the trash and the garbage in the house of God. Can I stop and say this? And I don't say this critically, but I just want to say that a lot of churches have let a lot of garbage and trash Amen. into their midst today. Yeah. And one of the things we've got to do is we've got to clean out the garbage and the trash that's been brought into the house of God. You see, what a lot of people don't understand is this. When they throw open the doors to the, to the world, the devil comes right in among it. Amen. Amen. And he starts bringing his garbage in and his trash in to the house of God. And so the Bible said the house of God's got to get cleaned up. And so in verse 14, there's a man there by the name of Hilkiah. The Bible said Hilkiah the priest. Now, that may not mean much to you, but let me tell you that most people think that this Hilkiah the priest that's in there cleaning up the garbage and the trash out of the house of God is the daddy of an Old Testament prophet by the name of Jeremiah. That's right. So Jeremiah's daddy's in there, and he's cleaning up, bagging up the trash and, and the garbage in the house of God. And while he's doing all that, according to verse number 14, he finds something in the house of God. That's right. Look at verse 14. The, the Bible said, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Isn't that amazing? I mean, right there in the house of God, they had lost the word of God. The Word of God had become buried under the trash and the garbage that was going on and had been allowed into the house of God. Boy, you know something? One of the things that's happened to a lot of churches in our day is they have lost Amen. the Word of God. Why, they put the pulpit on wheels so they can roll it in and out anymore because the, full, the pulpit and the preaching of the Word of God is no longer a priority in the average church of our day. They, they brought in the garbage and the trash of the world so they want to jam for the Lamb and raise the roof for Jesus instead of having make it a priority of preaching the book, Amen. preaching the Word of God. Yes, sir. So while they're going through all the trash and the, and the house of God cleaning that thing out, the Bible said they run across a copy of the Old Testament law of Moses. Now, probably what they've got is the first five books of the Bible. The book of uh, Genesis and, and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. That's the law of Moses. Well, when he, Hilkiah is going through all that garbage and he finds that book, according to verse 15, the Bible said he takes it to Shaphan the scribe. Now, the scribes were people who dealt primarily with the Word of God. So who better to take the Word of God to than a scribe who writes down and understands the Word of God? So the Bible said Hilkiah took the, 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 the book that he had found to, to, to shape of the scribe. Here's what he said. I have found, and I want to place the emphasis on this, the book. I have found the book. Amen. Boy, aren't you glad one day in your life you discovered the book. Yeah, I'm talking about I'm talking about the word, Amen. the word 
of God. Now, of course, you and I, we have a completed copy of the Word of God. We no longer just have the first five books of the Law of Moses. We have the entire Word of God. But what happened was, what old Shaphan started reading that, I mean, he started trembling because as he was reading through those first five books, boy, he found out they had sinned greatly against the Lord. They had sinned grievously against the Lord. And they understood because they found the book that they understood that they began, that they deserved the judgment of God to fall on them and they had to do something to get right with God to spare them from the judgment of God. And it all came about when they brought the book out again. Amen. And boy, I'll tell you, we're living in days when we need the book. Hey, our country needs the book today. You know, one of the reasons we're in such a mess that we're in in America tonight is because we've got away from the book. The country needs the book. We don't have one problem tonight that couldn't be solved in America if we get back to the book tonight. Our country needs the book. Hey, our churches need the book. Hey, brother, if there's ever been a day and an age when the church needed to get back to the book, it's in this day and age in which we live. By the way, listen, us Christians needs the book. We all need the Word of God. Well, I'm so glad one day I discovered the book. The book has changed my life. The book has, has caused me to, to stay out of some trouble. The book has spared me a lot of heartache in life. The book has kept me from a lot of tears being shed. The book has kept my family together. The book has kept me on the right path. The book has got me going to heaven. Thank God for the book. I have found the book. This book has changed my The book has changed my life. I've told you this before, but I've read a lot of books that have never changed my life. No, sir. But I'll tell you what. The book has made necessary changes in my life. I've heard a lot of preaching, not necessarily out of the book, but I'll tell you what, buddy, it was the preaching of the book that brought conviction upon my heart. I'm telling you, if it worked back then, it'll still work today. We need to get back to the book again. We need to find the book. How many of you are all with me on this? Now get your prayer sheet out and let's do this. Well, if you found the book. Now I believe we've got the book. I believe this King James copy of the Word of God, the King James Bible, is the book. It is the divinely preserved Word for the English-speaking people of our day. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm not. You say, preacher, I don't understand it, so I've got to have it broken down to me, so I'm going to consult this or consult that. Can I tell you something? I'll be honest with you. I don't understand it all either, but I'll tell you what, friend. I know one thing. This book right here has got a poetry to it. This book right here has got a rhythm to it. This book right here is the Word of God that's been divinely preserved down through the ages, handed down by God. God's blessed it. God's put His approval. Look, the great revivals that have come about in days bygone happened because of the book right here. And friend, if it ain't broke, it don't need to be fixed. And it ain't broke tonight. We've got the book. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. The book. Well, if you found the book, do this. Here we go. Ready? Let's skip all the rest of that, fellas. Let's jump down to the points and we'll be done. First of all, if you found the book, I put this down. Number one, search it daily. If you found the book, search it daily. Look at this verse right here, Acts 17, verse 11. The Bible said, talk about the Bereans. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God or received the Word with all readiness of mind and search the Scriptures how? They search the Scriptures daily 
whether these things were so. If we found the book, man, search it daily. In Luke chapter 4 and verse number 4, Jesus said this. Jesus answered the devil, answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Hey, if you found the book, search it daily. You know, one of the things that we did at the start of this year is we started putting in the church bulletin the Bible reading for that week. And I'm not going to ask you how many of y'all are doing that. Hopefully many of you are still keeping the schedule with all that and are going to make it through the Bible. Bible this year. I remember when we started that uh, back in January, a lot of people come and said, you know, preacher, I intend on reading the Bible through this year. I hope you're still doing that because we need a daily dose of the Word of God. We need to search it, search it daily. You know something, here's the thing that gets me. Most of us know the Bible is the Word of God and would even fight somebody over it. I would, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd get in a fight over the Word of God being the Word of God. But you know something? Most of us who say we believe the Word of God don't pick it up and never read it. We need to search it daily. I want to remind you of one thing that I've said a lot here recently, and that's this. When you spend time in the Bible, you're spending time with Jesus. Somebody said, you know, preacher, I wish I could just spend time with Jesus. Read the Bible. Because the Bible said, uh, let me just tell you this, the Bible said of Jesus this right here. Speaking of Jesus, Revelation 19, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called what? All right, his name is called the Word of God. So Jesus is the Word of God. So when you and I read the Word of God, who are we spending time with? We're spending time with Jesus. Amen. Search it daily. Number two, not only search it daily, but store it deeply. Store it deeply. We need to get back again to committing the Word of God to our memories again. One of the best ways to fight off the devil and bad thoughts is by committing the Word of God to your mind. Let me say that one more time. Are you struggling with your thought life? I mean, you say, preacher, I tell you what, man, I just have such old bad thoughts, old terrible thoughts that run through my mind. And I tell you, preacher, I just wish I could just get rid of those thoughts. Let me tell you how to get rid of it. Put the Word of God in your mind. You see, the devil came to Jesus one time and he kept tempting him over and over and over again. But every time Jesus defeated the devil by quoting to the devil the Word of God. The psalmist said this right here, Psalms 19 and verse number 11. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Can I tell you how when I was a young preacher, when I studied and memorized the word of God, on one occasion, and I can still pretty much go through the whole first eight chapters of the book of Matthew. I just started in Matthew, and I don't know why some reason I started there, but I started in that chapter one, you know, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, and it goes on to Abraham, they got Isaac, Isaac got Jacob, Jacob got Judah. I went through that whole list in chapter one of memorizing those names over and over and over again. I got all the way up to chapter eight, and then I started committing other verses to my memory, just verses, good verses, random verses that I thought that I could use sometime in preaching. And I started committing, and I used to just write them down on an index card and stick them in my pocket, and while I was working, I'd take out those verses and memorize those verses 
over and over in my mind, put them in my mind. And I find this out now. Now that I'm an older preacher and maybe my memory isn't what it used to be, I see God every once in a while reaching down into my memory and pulling out a verse that I committed to memory years ago and dragging it out before me. And sometimes even when I'm up preaching, those verses will just start coming back to memory, even the reference, the scriptural reference that I committed to memory. Now, I'll tell you something, friend. The only offensive weapon that we have available to us is the Word of God. Yes, sir. Let me tell you something. The Word of God will put the devil on the run. Look at this verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. And then notice this right here. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus defeated the devil with the Word of God. That's the reason the psalmist said this right here. The psalmist said, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What is a two-edged sword? The Bible said in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hey, brother, when you get the Word of God out, you've got a sword right here, friend. It'll cut you coming and it'll cut you going. Amen. It is the Word of God. So we need to, number one, store it deeply. We need to search it daily. Then what about this? Study it diligently. If you found the book, study it diligently. We ought to be a student of the Word of God. The Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, uh, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Can I tell you something? The reason that so many people get... get and I want to use this word. It's probably going to sound harsh, but I don't know how else to say it. The reason so many got, uh, uh, good people get sucked into these false religions and these cults is because they've never studied the Bible for themselves. I mean, here comes this crowd knocking on the door with their satchels. Boy, they knock on your door. They ride their bicycles up in the driveway and jump off and knock on the door. And first thing you know, man, they're telling you some smooth little speech they've got memorized in their mind. And because we don't know the Word of God, we're just, we're just like drawn to that, like a bug to a bright light on a summer night. Just, just, just... I'm going to just say it, just sucked right into that kind of religion. You know why so many of God's people have done that? I'll tell you why. They've never studied the Bible for themselves. They've never studied the Word of God. Over the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and verse number 12, the Bible said that God gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Now, why did God give these gifted men to the church? For the perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying the body of Christ. Why did God give these men to the church? Because the Bible said this, they've been given to the church. So in verse number 14, that we might not be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Listen, why did God call men to preach? So they can stand up and preach to us the Word of God so we're not caught up into false doctrine, the winds of false doctrine that are blowing through our world today. Why did God give us teachers to teach to us the Word of God? And then we, we study the Bible for ourselves. The Bible said over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 that we prove all things. Hey, don't just take my word for it. I'd never stand up here purposely, intentionally tell you anything wrong. But man, just don't take my word for it. Go home and search the Bible yourself. Prove it. And look, if it's good, if it's scriptural, if it's doctrine, buddy, hold fast. Hang on to it. That which is good. Study it diligently. Look at this, number four, if you found the book. Study it diligently. Store it deeply. Search it daily. If you found the book, 
Spread it delightfully. Tell others about it. Look at this verse right here. The book of Psalm 68, verse 11. The Lord gave the word. The Lord, where did the word of God come from? You say, oh, I know, preach it. come from 40 different men. That's where it come from. No. Look at this verse right here. Who gave the word? Now, he used men as human instruments to write it down. But the, the Bible said the Lord gave the word. This is the, look, you've got the word of God right there in your lap tonight. Listen, that's not the word of a man. That's the word of God. The Lord gave the word. And then he says this, great was the company of those who published it. So we, so we, uh, we publish it. We, 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 uh, uh, we spread it delightfully. What about this? We show it demonstratively. We show it demonstratively. We demonstrate daily the Word of God in our lives. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 2 that we are living epistles, known and read of all men. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul said, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Well, I'll tell you what we need in these last days, some good examples. Amen. We got enough bad examples. We need some people who will go out daily and by their lives live in such a manner that people can see the Word of God coming through the skin of our life. The Bible said this. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. The Bible said, The very God of peace sanctify you holy. Get this right here. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. What's the next word? It didn't say perfect, but it did say blameless. And as we take the Word of God into our life, we ought to flesh it out daily in the way that we live. Look at me. You ought to pay your bills. You ought to pay your bills. You ought to live right, not when you're just here at church, but you ought to talk right. Man, we ought not to be able to get on your phone and find anything on the phone that shouldn't be there. Shouldn't have to open up the refrigerator and pull the ungodliness out of the refrigerator. Hey, if God said it's wrong, it's still wrong. If God said it's right, it's still right. And we just need to show it daily in our lives by demonstrating the Word of God before lost to the dying world. Show it demonstratively. What about this? Submit to it devoutly. The final authority on any subject for every believer is what the Word of God has to say about it. It don't matter what we think about it. It don't matter what my opinion is about it or what your opinion or what some TV preacher's opinion is about it. I was watching. There's this one preacher, and I've always liked this one preacher. But he's lost his mind now, but I liked him beforehand. And I used to listen to him. I'd find him on a channel somewhere, and I'd listen to this man. He's a Baptist preacher. One time he was the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, and, uh, and, and he was preaching, and, and I liked his preaching, and I would listen to him, but he lost me the other Sunday when he said this. He stood up before his congregation, and he said, Now, look, I'm not going to say this for you, but I am going to say it for me. I personally am convicted by drinking. But now, I can't say that for you because God deals with everybody in different ways. But for me, I am personally... Well, can I tell you what I did? I turned it to Tom and Jerry. Because I'm going to get more out of Tom and Jerry from here on out than I am from that old boy. If he ain't got enough sense to know what the Bible said about alcohol, he's lacking some intelligence somewhere. Look, it don't matter what he says. It don't even matter what I say or what I think about it. What matters is what this book says right here. It is the final authority on any, any subject. It'll not only save your soul, but look at me, it'll save your life if you'll live by it. 
And then number next, wherever. This is the last one. Number seven, stand on it daringly. Stand. I never will forget when I was ordained uh, by a council, a presbytery, one of those old men, and every one of them there was an old man at the time that I was ordained, and all of them just about are in heaven now. But I never, I was sitting there, and they had me sitting there in this straw chair. All those men of God formed a circle around me. And they was asking me questions and all that stuff, and finally just one of them looked at me, and he said, I'm going to give you some advice. If you'll follow it, you'll never have a regret. And here's what he said. He said, you don't ever have to apologize if you stand on the Word of God. Amen. And can I tell you something to this very day? To this very day, if you stand on the Word of God, you won't ever have to apologize. I don't want to stand with a hateful spirit, an arrogant spirit, uh, a contentious spirit, but I want to have a great spirit. But I tell you what, if this book says it, that's it. Amen. If the Word of God, and we're going to stand on this thing daringly. It don't matter. It may go against the current of our world. It may go against the grain of our society. But if the Bible says it, let's stand on it. If you found the book. Hey, thank God for the book. Let's pray. Father.